Summit Theology. We're walking through our series, Christ the King. And we have another brother, another uh, pastor on staff here with us. This is Job Morales. He oversees our children's and families ministry. And uh, it's good to have you on here with us, brother. So far, we have talked about uh, kingship and authority, getting our definitions from the Bible, uh, from Genesis 1, that God made man to be his under kings. But man sins, man falls, and we are in need of a divinely anointed one, one to come from the Lord to fill that office, and which will ultimately be God himself. The Lord Jesus comes and fills that office for us. Um, but last week, we talked about uh, our need for godly leadership, rule, and authority, and that you will ultimately have rule and authority. It's part of the fabric of reality that God has built. It's how humans will naturally orient themselves. And the only question is, what kind of authority are you going to have? What kind of king, what kind of leader are you going to have? Because without it, we saw from Judges Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's right. That was something that the author of the Judges uh, wanted us to see, one of his authorial comments. So if we have to have it, what kind of king ought we look for? What kind of king ought we desire? And Pastor Job, that's where you're going to uh, kick us off, right? What kind of king is God going to give his people? Well, um, he's going to give them a king that's, um, that's obedient to his word. You know that that follows God, and and through the through judges we had you know the the judges that would judge God and they'd receive a message and then carry it out. But um, like you were saying, in in Samuel you see that they cried out for a king, and then God gave them a king. And well, from a human perspective, you wanna you would want a king that 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 that's strong and, and leads and 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 not just that, but also the complexion, um, as you see in Saul. I mean, when he was selected, you know he. He stood above everybody else, you know. Head and, and shoulders. Head and shoulders, that's right. That's correct. Yeah. 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 So. yeah. yeah. That's what the people wanted. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Now, yeah. what God wants and what the people want isn't always oh, the same. That's right. What the people want and what the people need yeah. isn't right. that's always correct. the right. same. Yep. And so Saul is then juxtaposed with David. That's right. That's and correct. in David, there's that statement that the, the scriptures bring up again a couple times. Right? David is a man of God. David is a man after God's own after heart. God's that's own heart. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And that's kind yeah. of the biggest tell there, that when, when the people go to, uh, to Samuel and that they demand for a king, they noticed that, uh, that them being without leadership was a bad thing. They noticed that it got them in this mess. And uh, the, uh, the indictment, that, that God uh, gives isn't that their want for leadership is bad, but the kind of leadership that they're wanting. Give us a king like all the nations. Yeah, right. And that's why God says, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me mm -hmm. as their king. Amen. And so God then gives them David. And how does that transpire, Pastor Tony? Well, you know, as I was just thinking as you're talking there, you know, this, this void of leadership that was going on during the time of the judges um, was not their history. I mean, God had given them Moses and God had given them Joshua. And so they had strong leadership, leadership that was, again, under God and um, the, the Mosaic covenant that God made with his people. 
and now God's getting ready to, to give them the Davidic covenant. And, um, and David as a king is without question, you know, the zenith of the nation of Israel. And even though we know that David was not a perfect man, uh, he did have a heart for God. We, we read the Psalms and we find a man who his heart was continually <clears throat> focused on worshiping God and honoring God. And it's, it's that <clears throat> that brings him to the point where after a period of time when the Philistines have been defeated, um, the ark has been brought to Jerusalem, Jerusalem has been conquered, David sets up, um, you know, the palace there in Jerusalem. And during a season of rest in 2 Samuel 7, um, he says to Nathan the prophet, you know, it's not right that, that as the king, here I have this magnificent palace and God dwells in a tent, and God dwells in a tabernacle. Well, this was God's design, the tabernacle. Um, and it's interesting that, that really it's the incarnational theology that we see that God is with his people and God dwelled in a tent when the people were dwelling in tents and the people were mobile, moving out of the exile and making their way to the promised land. Uh, they're uh, a nomadic people. They're living in tents. And what does God do? God lives in a, in a tent. It's a, it's a mobile place of worship that's packed up and moved every time that the, uh, you know, that the, uh, the pillar of, of fire and, and uh, the, the cloud moved, they were constantly then uh, under divine instruction of how to move the tabernacle from place to place. But now they've conquered the land and God's given them rest and they've built houses to live in. And David says, you know, it's not right for us to dwell in these nice homes and God still is in a tent. And God lays it, uh, or it's upon the heart of David to, to build for the Lord uh, a temple. And uh, it's in this conversation that we have with, with Nathan the prophet in, uh, in 2 Samuel. And, um, and, and then Nathan, Nathan, like any preacher, he preachers, uh, you know, he's, he's visiting with someone. They're wealthy and they, they want to they build something at the house of the Lord. Nathan said, go for it. You know, I mean, he's all excited. And Nathan said to the king in verse 3, go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my, my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought out the children of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all of the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I've commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be the ruler of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and cut off all of your enemies from before you, and have made you, made a great name for you like the name of the great men that are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, that they shall dwell in a place of their own, and move no more 
nor all the sons of the wickedness oppress them anymore, as previously since the time that I commanded the judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all of your enemies. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. And here it is, the Lord just flips this whole thing on David. David said, Lord, I want to build you a house. And the Lord said, no, David, I'm going to build your house. And this is where he gives to him then the Davidic covenant. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And of course, as we read on, we know that it's not David who builds this temple, but it's Solomon. But in this text, in 2 Samuel 7, it is God giving this covenant concerning a king whose dominion and reign would be forever. And we know that in the time of Christ, the nation of Israel was looking and longing for a king to come of the lineage of David. You read the Gospels and the reason there's so much confusing confusion about Christ is because in their mind, he's coming from Nazareth. They don't recognize the fact that he was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. He, he does have the pedigree. He has the lineage. Uh, he is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. But the, the rulers of Israel only see he's from Galilee. No ruler or prophet comes from Galilee. Um, but this, this covenant um, that is going to be made here is a covenant that, that again, we, we can't rightly understand the scriptures without the understanding of the covenants and especially the Davidic covenant, which will give way and, and will blossom into uh, the everlasting covenant, the, the new covenant that Christ is going to establish. And, um, and so today, you know, Christ is reigning in the hearts of, of all of those who bend the knee to him, those who again um, receive him as Lord and Savior uh, he is that king, and he's a good king. Amen. Amen. There's a couple really awesome features about this covenant. One, that it's unconditional. Yeah, right. Like, this is something that even if David's descendants are unfaithful. And they were. And they were. Yeah. God says, even if then, unlike the Mosaic covenant, right. if you break, then curses. Right. If your descendants break, I'm, I'm going to discipline them as a father disciplines yeah. His son, this is my son. But it doesn't son. thwart the covenant. But it doesn't thwart the covenant. God's going to yeah. maintain it. He's got a purpose with it. And it's, an, it's again, an office. But I love that, uh, that play on words there. Will you build a house for me? Right. No, I'm going to build yeah, a house, house for, for you. you. Right. Yeah. And, and that's coming from there are two meanings here to the mm -hmm. word house. One, a building. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what David was concerned with. Right. He was concerned about a building. But God is concerned about a dynasty, right. like you said, right. a, a lineage. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what leads us to the next segment of this episode. Is that how do we follow in the scriptures, which uh, I'm sure, Pastor Dudley, you would uh, argue as well, the scriptures present this to us. You don't have to uh, go searching for it too far. The scriptures hand it to us, uh, how we're tracing this coming king, this divinely appointed king, 
this now son of David. How do we go about doing that? As with all these things, we go to the beginning. Amen. <laughs> and, and we see this, and of course we've talked about this before, how God unfolds his plan over time. You see a right. little bit, then you see a little mm -hmm. bit more, you see a little bit more. Progressive revelation. The, the big picture, progressive picture, but also it becomes narrower and narrower and mm -hmm. narrower. Mm -hmm. So you get to a point where there's only one person yep. that can fulfill mm -hmm. this promise. And we have that promise in Genesis chapter 3, if we look That's there. That's right. Verse 15, man has fallen, God is uh, questioning Adam, God is questioning Eve, then God uh, imposes the penalties upon them for their sin. And in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3, uh, God says, And I will put enmity between mm -hmm. you, speaking of the serpent, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And so we automatically see that there's going to be this conflict, this ongoing mm -hmm. conflict between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And it's interesting because when we think of seed and we think of male and female, we think of the male as the right. one that's providing right. the seed. But here God is very specific that it mm. will be the seed of that's the right. woman. woman. But first you begin to say, well, maybe that's because, you know, Eve was the one that was deceived. And so she has a special grudge against the serpent. And that's true. But we really see what God's going to be doing here, and he's giving us a foretaste of the incarnation. Yeah. There's going to be one right. that will right. be a son of Adam, but will not be in Adam in the That's sense right. that he is. Yeah, I think you have the hint of, of the virgin birth. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Definitely there. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, uh, and so yeah. and it's interesting, this idea of the seed, even this seed is a kind, you think of seed, can, in our language, in English, seed can be plural or yep. singular. But here, I think in the Hebrew, we, we get this idea, this often it's singular, mm -hmm. uh, the term seed. Some places it's plural, but often it's singular because it's going to be focusing in on a singular individual. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we start looking for in the scripture world. Yep. Where is the seed? You know, mm -hmm. Satan is looking for this seed. Maybe, is it Abel? Mm -hmm. Kill Abel. Is it Seth? Here's godly Seth. Well, it's, it, is it Seth? In a sense it is, because that's the line yep. that we're building. But Seth is not the one. It's mm, through right. his line. Right. It's not yeah. one. Is it Enoch, the one who walked with God? Well, no, he was not. So it's not him. Is it Noah? No, God is going to destroy the world. And, and right. Noah's and dad thought it might be, though. That, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it did, it did yeah. think it was. It, yeah. Exactly, you're right. And then we come to... This seed really is emphasized in the person of Abraham when we get into Genesis chapter 12. So right. we flip over there to Genesis chapter 12, and God then is making a promise to Abraham and to his seed you know, that we are going to uh, make of you a great nation. Mm. This is the, All these things are going to happen. And, of course, God mm. is promising all these things to, to Abram. His name hasn't even been changed yet. And Abram, we're going, to, we're going to make all these things of you, but Abram doesn't even have a child. How is this going to be accomplished? Obviously, this is a God thing, but he's promising that it will be through your seed, mm. through your mm. descendants. And of course, in, in a lot of our Bibles, the word seed is translated descendant or descendants. Yeah. But it begins with him, and then he reiterates this idea of seed again when we come to the division between Abram mm. and Lot. And Lot has gone, and he's gone after the good land there in Sodom. And then God makes his promise again. No, it's to your seed that I'm going to give this land. Not to Lot's seed, but your seed. 
And then we come again, and he cuts the covenant with Abram, and he reminds him again, it's to your seed. And then as we looked at Genesis 17 uh, last week, again, he mentions it's to your seed. When he changes his name, he again reasserts uh, his promise. Again and again, the promise is made to Abram. We come then to Isaac, and he says to Isaac, to your descendants. And then there's Jacob, and Jacob is there on the going to, to Laban, and he's there at Bethel, the house of God, and God comes to him and he says, no, it's to your seed. Again, again, the seed, the seed, the seed, and it's being reiterated, reiterated. And, uh, and then in the meantime, of course, in the Old Testament, we see Satan is looking for this. He knows, well, yeah, yeah we've narrowed it down. It's not just man in general. It's a specific line of people, mm -hmm. and it's not just all the nations of the earth. It's Abram and his descendants, and so he begins to try to destroy them. He goes, and here's Moses. Well, let's kill all the male children. Right. He gets Pharaoh to do that. Is he successful? No, it's not successful. The line survives. The line continues. Then we see uh, Esther in the uh, with Haman. You know, we need to destroy and kill all the Jews. Satan is there trying to destroy him. Is he successful? No, he's not. And we just read the passage in Second um, Samuel right. where God is building a house and he passes this idea, well, it's not just the seed of Abraham, it's not just the seed of Isaac, it's not just the seed of Jacob, but it's the seed of David. Yeah, right. David, it's going to be one of your descendants. Right. It's going to be your seed. And the word there was singular. Your descendant mm -hmm. is going to be the one in whom this kingdom is going to be established. Mm -hmm. And then that brings us to the New Testament. And we look there in the Gospel of Matthew, and Matthew opens it up in the very uh, first verse of, it, of Matthew chapter 1. We read there where um, we're getting the lineage of David, and in there it's uh, mentioning the different individuals. And if we start in verse 1, it says, This is the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. And then it starts off, Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. Yeah the seed of David, yeah. the son of Abraham. Yeah. So these yeah. two great figures in the line yeah. are mentioned at the beginning of the genealogy. And then we come to the uh, end of that chapter and uh, Joseph is debating what to do with his wife, with his pregnant wife, mm -hmm. the who has the seed. Right. And what do we do? Because he gave her no seed. Where did this seed come from? How is she, how is she conceived? Because the scripture in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, must be fulfilled. Amen. And it must be fulfilled that the seed of the woman is going to come and crush the serpent's head. And he says that to her, and, he, and, he, and the angel of the Lord appears and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so this is the fulfillment. Yeah, that, that title, you know, Son of David, was such a messianic mm -hmm. title. Yes. And Jesus, you know, in, in confronting the religious leaders, you know, uh, my Lord says to my Lord, said on my right, how, how is son of David, how is he the son of David, but yet he's also Lord of David? Yeah, how can this possibly be? I mean, it's the beauty of that is just so remarkable that you, you see the, the eternal preexistent Lord 
is in time and space going to become son of David? Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah. Everything comes down to a certain point, and there's only one that can fulfill it. Absolutely. There's one. There's right. one person, and it's yeah. Jesus Christ. All the focus of history has now come and centered in on him. And you know, you're talking about the in Genesis 3:15, and you, I just it struck me as you were reading that the seed of the serpent. Sometimes we we're, we're, we're thinking about that text, and we're always thinking about the seed of the woman, but the seed of the serpent. In Jesus's day, when Jesus looked at the people. You know, today we're talking about how we're putting everybody in so many different boxes. Jesus said, you're either of, your father's either God right. or your father is the devil. Yep. And he said to the religious leaders, you know, the reason you don't, you don't believe me is because you don't know my father. You're of your father, the devil. Yep. Yep. And so the very ones who crucified were indeed of the seed of the serpent. Yep. You know. Yeah, yep. that's exactly. Oh, the blessing to Abraham. Yeah. Yeah. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. You have two paths. Yes. You're aligned with all throughout God history. And his Messiah, or you're aligned against right. him. Right. Yeah. And then when the people they find their way in Egypt, we have we have yeah. the world, and their head is Pharaoh, and what was at mm -hmm. the the crown of his right the serpent helmet, the serpent right. figure right yeah. and then you have uh, God's people who are set apart. And then you, have, you get to David, and how is Goliath presented? He's wearing the scaly armor, an armor of scales is what the Hebrew text says. You have the serpent against the seed of the woman until it comes to a head, and then we have rest. Mm -hmm. In this episode, we have uh, covered a, a lot. Um, there's still more to talk about uh, the uh, Davidic king, some psalms that you referred to, Psalm mm -hmm. 110, Psalm 2. Uh, and maybe we'll pick up on some more of those. Uh, but this is the podcast for applied theology, after all. And mm -hmm. so we want to uh, talk about interpreting the scriptures. And there are some things in the text that we had that um, being aware of these features of the Bible will help you do this kind of theology or biblical theology is what they call it. You, right. you find these themes that the Bible presents and you walk through the plot of the Bible. In the storyline of the Bible, it's according to the six covenants mm -hmm. that are laid out. And uh, if you are aware of that, you, you find these themes that the Bible lifts up, and you trace it like, like the king theme that we are doing through these episodes, and you're following these covenants, God's covenant with Adam, Noah, Abraham, uh, Moses, and Israel. David, and then the new covenant in Christ, then you are rightly following the plot line. But there are some things that uh, we wanted to point out as well. Any of you guys want to point out a feature to help our listeners uh, interpret their Bibles well? Well, I, I wanted to get back to that, uh, TJ, on, on the kings, how you, how Pastor Tony described the Davidic line, and then you came in with the covenant of of not destroying the people. Yeah. And, and I see how God is so compassionate. And looking at, at, at the history of Israel, you see that David came, or Saul, and then David, then, then Solomon. And then you see the split of Solomon, you know, between the two sons. And then you see the, the split of the two kingdoms, right? The north and the south. And, and, and looking over that, you see that 
Um, and as I was looking and researching, I saw that the, the lineage of those two kings were so, the kings were so evil. Um, but God, having so much compassion, you know, he still was able to work through all that. And, and I'm reminded in, in that sense um, in Daniel where, you know, Daniel chapter 2 where Daniel says, I establish kingdoms and I, and I dispose of That's the right. kingdoms. And, and right. having faith in God that he's going to, you know, fulfill. And it did. He did fulfill it. Yeah. And there's something in the, the Kings and the Chronicles that I think is very important to, to help us. Right. And, it's the, and it's the authors telling us how to evaluate mm. what's going on. Yep. The, the authors of the Chronicles and, of, and the, the books of Kings uh, tell us, uh, is this a king uh, that was like David? Or is this a king uh, that was far from God? And they tell us how to evaluate Saul. They tell us... Um, yeah, that, that comment that we mentioned earlier, this period of the judges, um, everyone did what was right in their own eyes before they did not have a king. Uh, the authors of Scripture are not just simply recording what's happening. They're communicating to us as, the, as readers, and they're wanting to tell us this history, and they've got points to make. And so, yes, pay attention to the quotes and the dialogues between people or when the Lord speaks and they're recording these things. But pay attention to these comments by the authors, which help us realize why the author is telling us this in the first place. That's something that's always really helped me. Well, the thing I believe that's most comforting to me personally as I read the, the period of the kings and the judges and is that, yes, when, when there was a king on the throne that did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, the blessings of God came and the mm -hmm. people prospered. Yep. But then the next king, it says, did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. But God was sovereign over all of that. That's right. And, and God's plan wasn't thwarted by any season or any time of any wicked ruler. And we know here in, in our country, you know, every four years we're voting on a president. And in some people's minds, it's like, okay, if we could just get the right person, mm -hmm. if we could get, mm -hmm. but God is sovereign over all of That's it. That's right. I mean, you know, Dudley and I have been here long enough. We've seen a lot of different presidents, <laughs> you know, and well, the interest rate may go up or down or the price of gas, but God's sovereign over all of it. Amen. When he is moving us to a a culmination, a glorious end, regardless of who the earthly rulers might be. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I was uh, I was teaching this past Wednesday from Acts, and um, you know, talking about the fact that you know Stalin and Lenin, uh, th these rulers you know, was going to rid the earth of the word of God. Well, they're gone. <laughs> And the church is still here, the and the Word of God, of God is, still, is here. still here, Amen. and it will be. And so when you read the, the history of Israel, it just reminds you that God's the king of Israel no matter who sets upon yep. the throne down here. Yep. Yep. And God is over everything in this world no matter who the president is or who's in Congress or who controls what. And that's not a cop-out. that We should vote for godly leaders because it goes well with the people when, when righteousness rules. Yep. Um, but we also know that, that regardless of that, God's plan is going to be fulfilled. Yep. And that gives us perspective. Yeah. And look at how many times yep. he used wicked kings 
-hmm. to be a blessing to his people, you know, Cyrus and and so forth. I mean, it doesn't have to be necessarily a a quote-unquote Christian leader. God can turn the heart of any king to do whatever he wants him to do. Expository preaching yeah. again, remember, mm-hmm. which we're having here, because yeah. these things are written, as you so aptly pointed out a few weeks ago in the Gospel of John. These things are written so that you may believe. The entire Bible has been written so that we may believe, and I think that's one of the things that we want to keep in mind as a church that we want to be a biblically literate people yes. because being familiar with the story. Yes. Build your faith and encourages you in your walk with the Lord, knowing that, hey, no matter what circumstances come, there could be a famine that sends a family to uh, Moab, right. but they're going to bring back a Ruth. Right. You know, right. that's what's going to happen. There yes. could be something, they're, they're going to go into exile, but there's going to come back, you know, as a rubber bell will, right. will return. Right. The seed is going to be preserved, the line is right. going to be there, and we see that again and again and again. This evil empire. Rome. Right. The, the Jews didn't think Rome was this great, wonderful empire. They, they hated it. Yeah. They despised it. Right. And yet Rome is going to be used by God right. to bring about his purposes. Right. And that's what we need to see, that our lives, too, are not just happening in isolation. Yeah. They're happening according to plan. You know, the, the, one of the failures today is that there's families today and kids growing up that know nothing of the Bible stories. Yeah. The plot of my day was we knew the Bible stories, yep. but we just knew them as moralistic stories. We did not we did not see them in the big picture. Our task, yes, our task as as being committed to expositional preaching of the whole text of Scripture, mm-hmm. the whole Word of God, and having an understanding of biblical theology that these are not isolated stories. It's not sixty six isolated books. It's one grand narrative, and all these things fit. I grew up knowing all about uh, the story of David and Goliath, but I was taught that meant I need to be courageous, and I need to go out there and and defeat my Goliath in my life. That's the way it was taught to me. Well, that's not what that text is about at all. We knew the stories, but we did not know how they fit Mm-hmm. in the overall picture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what we're committed to here at Broadway is helping our people see their whole Bible as one glorious story of God's redeeming work and how God is moving in that whole process, heading us to, to a glorious end. <laughs> Amen. Yep. So. Yep. Any final words, anything uh, for our listeners? Just be people of a whole book. Amen. Amen. And focus on the king. If you understand that it's all about this seed of the woman coming into the world, you'll be reading every text looking for him. You'll be seeing purpose in the genealogies. You'll be seeing these terms reused like seed and Messiah, anointed one. And you'll realize that the authors have a point that they're making. They're pointing us ahead. And then when you get them, when you get Christ, everything comes into focus. You know, uh, final thing, thinking about the, the people in, in Papua New Guinea in the bush, and they're teaching them from creation to the cross. And so they know nothing about the story. They're just walking through it. And, and as they get part of the way into the Old Testament, they're already thinking. And I, I can remember Bill Housley saying, they come to him and say, do you think that God might have someone up there that he could send down to, to rescue us. They already saw it. I mean, they don't, 
That we're looking at it through the gospel, through the cross. Yeah. They had no understanding of that, but they knew. Our only hope is for God to send somebody Amen. down. <laughs> you know? Amen. So that's great. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we hope you've been blessed. Uh, I have walking through uh, this portion of the scriptures. And until next time, God bless you. We look forward to next session. Amen.